Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Kathy Kay, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, March 5th, 2018. We are reading from the big book, and we are on page 33, the second paragraph. Our readers today are Marie J. on the 12th Steps, Stacy T. on the 12th Tradition, and reading the text are Kathleen O. and Ashley P. The share IDs uh, for yesterday's special edition, March 4th, 2018, is 11120. And for this morning's 7 a.m. meeting, March 5th, 2018, the reference number is 11121. And our newcomer greeter today is Melanie C. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marie J. to read our 12 steps. Thank you, Kathy. This is Marie J., and I am recovered in Colorado. And here are the 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. One, we admitted we are powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. I will now ask Stacy T. to read our 12 traditions. 
Good morning. This is Stacey T., Recovering Compulsive Eater in Cleveland. Thanks for your service, Kathy. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there's but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants they do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is the desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. I pass. Thank you, Stacey T. Um, how our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose, um, reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinent requirements for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There's no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speaker should be muted. Today we resume our study of the big book on page 33, paragraph 2, and I will ask Kathleen O. to get us started. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you for your service this morning. Good morning. This is Kathleen O, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in Northern California. Young people may be encouraged by this man's experience to think that they can stop as he did on their own willpower. We doubt if many of them can do it because none will really want to stop and hardly one of them, because of the peculiar mental twist already acquired, will find he can win out. Several of our crowd, men of 30 or less, had been drinking only a few years. 
but they found themselves as helpless as those who had been drinking 20 years. So this paragraph seems to be telling us that no matter what our age, if we have an addiction, we will think, number one, that with willpower we can stop. Number two, hardly anyone will win because of that peculiar mental twist. And number three, whether eating compulsively for a few years or decades, all of us find ourselves helpless when it comes to willpower. And willpower is control exerted to do something or restrain impulses. And I certainly had willpower because I was successful on many diets by restraining my impulse to eat or what I like to call white-knuckling a diet. But the entire time, all I wanted to do was eat. So the problem with willpower is it can stop us from from engaging in our addiction for a while. You know, I was successful on diets, but it never lasted because when on a diet, I was always obsessing about the food. And inevitably, I would quit the diet, eat the foods which triggered the allergy, and once again, I'd be off to the races and gain all my weight back and more. Um, and then the other problem of dieting with willpower is I never had any freedom, and I certainly had no peace. Um, and what was causing that? That peculiar mental twist. The peculiar mental twist. And you know, the big problem is what's going on in our minds. Um, the true nature of this disease really is between our ears. You know, I had 70 pounds to lose on my body, but easily 400 pounds to lose between my ears. And that mental twist is the idea that I can control and enjoy my eating. You know, I had history. I had memories of the self-loathing and hatred which would come when I would go on a binge. And I had all these sensible, compelling reasons not to eat, but that mental twist always trumped. Um, You know, the mental twist is the obsession where I forget all the pain and misery that eating compulsively brings me. It's that built-in forgetter. It's the baffling part. You know, how could I keep repeating this behavior over and over? So it wasn't willpower I needed. What I needed was willingness. And I had to be willing to accept my powerlessness. And when I finally surrendered my will, I became willing to recover. So I had to take that leap of faith and put my abstinence in the steps first. And, you know, going to meetings, listening to vision meetings, those things are really helpful, but it wasn't the solution. The solution was taking action and working these steps. The solution is, for me, is to continue working these steps on a daily basis, stay connected with a higher power, concede daily that I'm never going to be able to control and enjoy my eating. I have to smash every day the idea that somehow, someday I'll eat like normal people because it's not going to happen. So with the steps, I do have freedom from food and peace of mind. My life isn't perfect, but I, that peace and freedom stays with me a day at a time as long as I keep doing this work. And thank you for letting me share. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kathleen O. Okay, who would like, who would there on this paragraph? Marie J. Marie J. Okay, Marie J. Miriam Rifka H. Miriam Rifka H. Who else? Jordan L. I'm sorry, who is that? Jordan L. Georgian L. Okay. Uh, Jordan is in the back. Jordan, player. I'm sorry, Jordan. Yeah. No, that's okay. Jordan Rebecca L. T. Re- 
Rebecca T. I'll take one or two more. Okay, we'll start with these four then. Marie J., Miriam Rifka H., Jordan L., and Rebecca T. Please go ahead, Marie J. Thank you, Kathy. This is Marie J. I am recovered in Colorado. Um, I love this. Young people may be encouraged, and I was encouraged. I was encouraged by the idea that I can stop, I can get it under control, and be able to have it, whatever it, it is, again. You know, get rid of it for now, and I can have it. I can have it again sometime in the future. And I'm encouraged because it gives me permission. It gives me. I just have to have this willpower for a specified amount of time, and then I get to have my way again. You know, we call that a diet. And of course I'm encouraged by that because it leaves me in charge. I get to call the shots. I don't have to surrender. And so, you know, recently in my life, um, a month ago I gave up decaf. And I don't drink caffeine, but I really like decaf. And I had to give up a group of foods because we're doing some food allergy testing. So I didn't give it up because of an addiction to it, but I gave it up nonetheless to do this testing. And I find myself hoping that it's not the cause of my allergy. You know, I want that decaf back in my life again. But at the same time, because I'm recovered, I've given it to God. I've given it to higher power. You know, thy will be done always is my prayer, always. And if it's no longer to be in my life, then so be it one day at a time. And each day gets a little easier because I have asked God to be in charge. I don't know what's best for me. I don't ever know what's best for me. I have to stay in conscious contact with higher power at all times and on all things, even if it's as simple as a cup of coffee or if it's something more life-impacting like my relationship with my husband. You know, I don't want to be encouraged about perhaps being in charge again. I don't want to be in charge because sometimes I, I just believe that narrator that's in my head, and that's my ego, and that's my disease, and it tells me that being in charge is exactly what I need, and it's a big fat lie. So my work is to stay in conscious contact with God at all times on all things, simple as they may be, difficult as they may be, to be put God first always because I know that when God is in charge, my life is happy, joyous, and free. I have that experience. I know it's true. And when I don't listen to my disease and my ego and the narration saying, you don't need that, you don't need that, this is what you need over here, you need to be in charge and you need to call the shots. So be encouraged that it just, if you just use your willpower, you can be in charge. So... So I choose God today. I choose God to be in charge and not me. Thanks. I pass. Thank you, Marie J. Okay, Miriam Rifka H., please go ahead. Hi. Good morning, Kathy. Thanks for your service. This is Miriam Rifka H. in New Jersey. I wanted to, I'm, I'm a recovered compulsive eater, and I wanted to, to pipe in here. I really, really identify with this paragraph. Um, I came into program at the age of 27, and I remember after several years of, you know, trying to do this thing and finally starting to understand that the answer is in the steps and this is the only thing that will ever work for me, I came upon some notebooks that I had from when I was 18 and struggling with bulimia, which for me, my bulimia was simply a means of controlling my compulsive eating. That's all it was for me. I was compulsive eating first and then started the bulimia after to control the weight. Um, 
And I saw in my notebooks, in my journals, that at a certain point, my therapist had told me, listen, you need help. You have a choice. You can either do OA or you can go into this eating disorder clinic. And I chose the eating disorder clinic. And when I was reading that notebook, I was thinking, no, why did you do that? You know, you could have come right into OA, saved yourself years of chaos and trouble. But when I really looked at that, I realized, you know what, had I gone into OA at that point, I don't think I would have stayed. I would have said, you guys are crazy. I could control this. I have this. I'm not cutting out these entire food groups from my life. I didn't think I was so far gone. And to me also, you know, when they say you don't have to be, you know, you could be young, you could only have the problem for a few years. To me, this also extends to you don't have to be that overweight, you know, because for me, I wasn't. I was not that overweight. Um, But in fact, I don't even know if I was considered overweight. I might have just been on the, you know, outer side of my recommended range, weight range. But for me, I was just as crazy as people who were 200 pounds overweight, in my opinion. My life was insane. You know, I, I, I could not stop thinking about the food. I couldn't stop thinking about not eating the food or eating the food or how I was going to take care of the food that I already ate. It was just as crazy. And people today who hear that I'm in OA sometimes say to me, like, you don't, you don't belong. You were never overweight. Like, what does that mean? But I know that I belong here. I don't need to have been as bad as some other people. It got bad enough for me. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Miriam Rifka H. Jordan L., please go ahead. Hi, my name's Jordan L. I'm a compulsive overeater who lives in Silverstone, Colorado. Can I be heard? You guys? Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you, Jordan. You can? Okay. Yes. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, So... Um, I appreciate people piping up um, and sharing on this. Um, I I started listening to A Vision for You maybe like six months ago. Um, <clears throat> and um, my the sponsor that I had at the time recommended that maybe I should start from um, the beginning of the book, start listening to recordings from the very beginning of the book, and I did. Um, and I remember very distinctly remembering to this or listening to this recording, um, and being really sad because like everyone kept saying like, I don't know why young people aren't in OA and I don't know why they're not getting, they're not getting sober and this and that. And, um, uh, I just remember thinking like, gee, I wish this wasn't a recording and I could share about it. Um, because there's at least one young person in OA <laughs> under the age of 30, right? Um, and uh, and this paragraph is like, I for me, is, is also very powerful because Bill's story is, is wonderful and I abso- absolutely do relate to it as much as I possibly can. Um, but some of these other stories and more about alcoholism, for me, were a lot more powerful and relating and and being able to um to to understand this this disease not that i get that much out of understanding but maybe a little bit of peace of mind comes along with um understanding like why i do not why i do these crazy things with food but just that um 
that I'm, I have a disease, that, that I'm sick, you know, um, that I'm not a bad person. And I didn't do anything bad to deserve this or anything along those lines, you know, because I spent years and years and years thinking that. But anyway, what I'm getting getting down to is um, like four or five years ago, I was 25, 26 years old, and, and I, tried, I tried this on my own. Um, and I had an honest desire to find like a same way of eating. Um, I had a little bit of a relationship with a higher power. There's a little bit of prayer there and a little little bit of communication um <clears throat> and I swear to God I was like I was willing to give up the sugar and the flour forever and <laughs> and it didn't work you know um it didn't work because uh I'm assuming because I need you guys too um that's kind of the conclusion that I've come to um, I come from a background where self-sufficiency is is king and um, figuring it out on your own is, is all it takes. And, um, and that's not the case for me. Um, so anyway, I'm really glad to be on the line this morning and glad all of you guys are listening too, and I'll pass. Thank you, Jordan L. Rebecca T., please go ahead. Rebecca, press star one to unmute, please. Hi, this is uh, Rebecca T. in um, Central California. Um, I, uh, starting in 2006, I started to, um, this is when I walked into the doors of OA and I knew my life had become unmanageable. However, I still went in with thinking, okay, I can, I can control this part. Now that I, um, you know, admitted that I have a problem, now that I found out I have a problem, now I can kind of piecemeal it. I can take away when I need it. I can grab parts of the program um, that I like. Um, you know the phrase they said, uh, take what you like and leave the rest. Um, well, I definitely use that to um, my advantage. I thought that's that's a good idea. Like that's exactly what I'm going to do. I'm going to take pieces that make sense to me and then leave the rest. And um, I continued to do that for about 15 years. Um, relapsed, I don't know, about maybe 30 times, um, you know, while dipping in and out and, and doing it my own way. Um, even with the food, I think the, the main thing was I, I didn't want to give up the food. I mean, there's a few, uh, you know, a few types of food that I could give up. Um, but I thought, you know, I don't, I don't have to be that one that's going to have to, you know, give up all of these foods for the rest of my life. Um, and I, I was thoroughly convinced of that. So I tried almost everything, um, you know, studying the steps and maybe working with a sponsor, but then not continually everything so that I think I could get to a point where, see, I'm doing fine. I don't have to give up all those foods. Um, until finally, again, I everything I tried, um, I kept uh, relapsing. Uh, then I, I had a funeral for the food, gave up the food. Um, and it's true, for the first time uh, when I became abstinent in food, I had mental clarity I had never had before. Um, I had a peace between meals. Um, so then I started to think, okay, maybe I do really need to give up the food. 
Um, but then ironically, um, I thought that was all I needed to do. I, I literally thought I was cured. And uh, I spent 18 months doing that, being abstinent in the food, but not working a program. Um, until, of course, I, I relapsed again, um, gained back almost half of the weight I, I had lost. I think I lost about 140 pounds. Then realized, what's going on? You know, oh, my God, I, I'm going back to where I was going before. I thought I was cured. You know, I gave up the food. You know, isn't that what you wanted me to do kind of thing? And uh, then it hit me. I, so I ran to an OA, um, the birthday party, and I, I thought I need to hear every single thing that the, the, these um, people in recovery are doing. And that was the piece. They said, you have to have a spiritual recovery every single day. And I went, oh, my God, okay, I thought I figured out the peace, and I was still holding on to my own self, self-will, um, so I gave it up. I gave up the food. I gave up my self-will. I gave up my uh, everything uh, that I thought was the right way, and I've been living every day now for 60-plus days in spiritual recovery and uh, food abstinence, and um, it's been the best thing that I've ever done in my entire life. Thank you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Rebecca T. Who else would like to share this morning? Meg F. Meg Stephanie F. M. Wendy M. Stephanie N. Stephanie N. Eileen F. Did you say Eileen S? Yes. Okay, Eileen S. Yes. Heidi L. Okay, Heidi L. And who was that after Heidi? Kathy Jo P. Oh, Kathy Jo P. Great. Reggie O. Reggie O. Okay, let's stop there. We may have time after this list as well. I have Meg F., Wendy M., Stephanie N., Eileen S., Heidi L., Kathy Jo P., and Reggie O. Did I miss anyone? Okay, Meg F., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Meg F., recovered in California. Can I be heard? Yes, you can. Thanks. Hi, welcome. And thank you for your service. Thank you to everybody for being on the line. I um, hmm, I came into program before I was 20, maybe right at 20. I'd been reading at 16, but I didn't even really remember it. But I had um, come in, I had an interesting background in that my mom ever said I was an addict and that um, she understood it was to food. And she wasn't a compulsive overeater, but she was smart and so she paid attention and so I knew I had a food addiction and it was sort of an odd thing I went to an, an addiction specialist I had therapists like that I had lots and lots and lots of therapists but did I really want to stop and you know I really did want to stop I I really did want to stop but I needed the, the comfort so much more so I had I mean I have experiences of my first memory is did the milk or the cereal run out first? You know, that's the only thing that ever stops my, my Cocoa Krispies intake. And I think that um, that was really early. Sometimes just humiliation at a friend's house would have me stop. But I wasn't overweight. I just wanted to eat, and I never could get enough. And then I went on to high school. So when I got to high school, my first night was the eighth grade. 
a little bit, five, ten pounds before the prom, and that was really great. And then then I hit high school, and I kind of went, you know, to 155, and I sort of stayed there for a really long time. But all my friends were cheerleaders and song girls, et cetera, et cetera. And they were my friends. I was just 25, 30 pounds heavier than and felt hard. And I knew I was a food addict. On occasion, I would lose weight. And it was always Atkins. Some people would say something like Atkins. And that's always what it was because it was no sugar and no flour. And then I came in at 20. They gave me a gray sheet. I lost all the weight. Kept it off for 18 months. I was very, very delighted. And I didn't even ever understand there was a mental part of this. Just the physical allergy. Just the physical allergy. And I really continued in OA almost until a year and a half ago. And I'm 58 years old with just the meetings and the physical allergy being handled. And then I prayed, I, I have a God, I, I, I'm related, et cetera. But turning my will over, oh, no. You know, not being an Al-Anon nut, oh, no. You know, so like all the different ways that I have acted out. But I've had an interesting experience this week, and I just want to express my gratitude to OA about understanding the physical allergy, at least, is that I was looking through 27 years of photos because my mother-in-law just died. And I was only really heavy in one of them. And it was just sort of, I didn't even remember that I had gotten heavy at that point. Really, it wasn't a big thing. And I have a pregnancy picture and I have a birth picture and I have this baby on my knee and I'm thin and I'm delighted. And I have two pregnancies abstinent. That's time, Mick. Thank you. I just had a really joyous life and now I'm desperately delighted to be really looking to the steps to give me the willingness to turn my will and all of myself over to God and not just the food. Thank you very, very much, all of you. Thank you, Meg F. Wendy M., please go ahead. Uh, Yes, good morning, Wendy M., recovered in Colorado. Thank you so much, Kathy, for your service. And I thank God for my abstinence this morning and all of you on the line. So the line that pops up for me is none will really want to stop. And I love that because it's like I want the goodies and I don't want the consequences, right? I want to eat anything that I get my hands on and I never wanted the consequences. And like I said last last week, gravity just doesn't apply to me, right? The rules don't apply to me. I can have all the goodies and no consequences, and the um, and I can act out on any defects and have no consequences. And we read that in, in our books, you know, that I want to hold on to these choice defects, gossip, blame, control, self-centered, the list goes on, right? Um, but I don't want any consequences. I want to be able to gossip and have absolutely no consequences. You know, I want to act out because I call that emotional binging. When I'm gossiping, when I'm acting out, when I'm in blame mode, I'm just emotionally binging. It's delicious, and I don't want any consequences whatsoever. And I just, I love that it says, do we really want to stop? Do I really want to stop, um, turn those behaviors over and turn the food over? Do I really want to? What's my motive, right? And whenever I do those 10 steps, I get to the, the question of, am I being honest? Or really, where am I being dishonest? Um, so I want to look really good, but some, I don't necessarily want have a desire to stop, a real desire. And, you know, I have to say that I never, um, I never, it's funny, in, in 15 years of, of OA, right, I, I was in the what can I get away with program. What behaviors can I get away with? What foods can I get away with? You know, and still call myself abstinent. 
Um, you know, and I always say two years ago, met um, a vision sponsor and uh, my world changed completely. The common become, becomes uncommon, right? It's a total and complete rearrangement. And I don't remember having the conversation with her, do I have a desire to stop? For whatever reason, um, I was introduced to entire abstinence, and I have to say it wasn't hard. You know, it's always hard to be in the food. Entire abstinence was a breeze. It was so easy. And I got that God consciousness very quickly. The surrender came very quickly. So I didn't have to even think about what can I get away with today. It was just, it was ease. It was, it was ease and comfort to be entirely abstinent and to continue to be entirely abstinent. You know, and I'm not always um, uh, entirely clear that I want to stop my defects of character. That's more of a continue, you know, it says continue for a lifetime. And thank God it says continue for a lifetime. That means that I can, you know, hiccup, that I can have those emotional binges and then call you guys and write about it and go to God and find out what God has in store for me. Uh, I spent the weekend trying to uh, run the show and it's, I don't recommend it. It's super uncomfortable (laughs) and it just kept me in fighting with myself and everybody else, you know, so I have a program and I have all of you um, to go to so I can say, how do I do this? How do I um, leave the get away? What can I get away with program and actually surrender my character defects as well? And with that, I'll, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Wendy. Um, Stephanie N., please go ahead. Hi, this is Stephanie N., recovered in Kansas. And this paragraph is speaking to me about accepting the disease in my heart and not just in my head. Um, And really talking about having that firm foundation of steps one, two, and three, that I have fully conceded Uh the fact that I'm powerless over food um, and that I can never pick up my substances. I just, I have to know that not only in my head, but in my heart, I have to understand that at both levels. And also that I have to develop a relationship with a higher power because I can have the best sponsor in the world and all of the tools. I can have the big book. I can have a great meeting. But if I haven't fully conceded to the fact that I'm powerless and if I do not have a relationship with a higher power where I'm trusting and really depending on this higher power and um, have a working relationship with that higher power, then when, you know, the rubber hits the road, I'm I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to be in big trouble. This weekend I had a situation and I did use the tools and it helped, but I don't think that it was the tools that saved me. It was my relationship and my dependence on my higher power. Um, I was I was in a situation and I, I was so scared. I was physically shaking. And um, my first thought was reach out. And I did, and I'm so grateful for that because somebody responded. But I know that it was my higher power that gave me that thought because I feel like since I've had my spiritual awakening that I have had, um, like I've been rewired that I have had, um, you know, that I, I, I think differently. My, my initial thought was reach out, get help. And that's not for me. That was from my higher power. And if I wasn't open, if I didn't have that, the connections opened. If I hadn't been in prayer and meditation throughout the day and asking God, don't let me go back to food. I never want to go back to the food. I say that all the time. Um, and I feel that that prayer is answered when, and when things get tough, 
my higher power responds by reminding me to work the tools, get help. You can't do this alone. You need to reach out. And that's what I did. And I'm so grateful for the person who picked up the phone. But I'm I'm just also um I'm I'm just also grateful for this way of life and that I don't have to reach for the food when things get tough. That I can reach out to God and to others and keep working the steps. And with that I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Stephanie. And Eileen S. Please go ahead. Good morning. Thank you, everybody, for being there. This is Eileen S. in Portland, Oregon. Can you hear me okay? Yes, I can. Great. Thank you. This is my first time going on this uh, phone meeting, and I've been listening to some of the recorded ones, um, but I'm very grateful to be on a live line. And, uh, wow, I'm just very inspired by everybody. Um, yeah, wow. Um, and I love reading this the big book and the way and studying it so closely. Um, I need this. I need this. And in this paragraph, well, I, I just love where it says, um, thinking they can stop as he did on their own power. And I've definitely done that. That's what sticks out for me. And the other thing is 20 years, just the 20 years is flashing out at me because I came into program about 20 years ago and um, I had abstinence for quite a long time. I broke it a couple of times. Um, But the last year or so, I have just been in and out and up and down and doing things with food that I just, that were off the table for me. And um, it just shows me that I've been thinking I could do it myself, even though I was walking the walk and talking the talk to some extent. But there was that lurking notion that was talked about the other day. There was a lurking notion that there's certain things I can still do, certain behaviors, certain foods that I can still stop on my own power. And I, and I realized that I can't stop. I'm powerless over food. I can't. And I put myself in a situation yesterday where um, – it was. It, I got together with someone uh, to watch the Academy Awards, and there was food sitting there. And I don't do real well sitting around with food. I just don't. I need to eat a meal and then be done with food. Um, and there was a lot of food hanging around, and I just, I just lost it. I just lost it. And it wasn't enormous, but it was enough to make me very uncomfortable and to see, wow, I'm powerless over food once again, in case I forgot in case I forgot. And um, I had a couple of really good days because I'd be going on these meetings every morning. And you know what, you guys, I wanted to go on the meeting on Saturday and Sunday, and there wasn't one. And I need to find out how to listen to the recorded meetings that aren't the one that day, um, because I usually have had the code for that day, but I don't know how to go on to listen to previous meetings. So um, I'll find that out when I can. Um, and, you know, I have a sponsor. I've been, uh, 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 I'm just very humbled by this disease. I don't have it. I had a sponsor who asked me some time ago, quite a while ago, do you think you're doing it yourself? <laughs> and I didn't think so, but uh, I think I've thought I'm doing it myself. And I, yeah. I do, is that my time? Yes, it is. Okay. Anyway, I'm just going to wrap up. Thank you so much for being here, everybody. I'm really, really grateful for this, um, for this meeting. And with that, I pass. Thank you. 
Thank you very much, Eileen F. Heidi L., please go ahead. This is Heidi L., recovering in uh, Northern California. Um, I love, love, love the conversation today. I've just been a fighter about my own willpower and wanting to do things my way. Um, my first introduction to abstinence was in another program, and I had three years of very um, structured abstinence, which was wonderful, and I had a good physical, very good physical recovery, but I wasn't in the steps and and wasn't in the spiritual solution. And so, of course, that strange mental blunt thought came, and um, I'm I'm coming out of a four year. Uh, relapse and have clean abstinence again. But when I was first introduced to vision, I loved the big book and the spiritual aspect of this program. But I, I like to wiggle any way I can with my food plan. And so just being off for me, flour and sugar, um, I had some of the mental recovery and some of the obsession removed, but not the physical recovery because I was still eating too much or you know, just messing with my food in a way that didn't serve me. And so, again, I had to even go deeper with turning my will over. And, you know, what is true abstinence for me uh, to be in a healthy body and all of that and had to clean up the boundaries around my own abstinence because I just want to keep, you know, in the past, I wanted to keep as much as I could or do what I want or, you know, whatever. And I really got to such a low that that surrender happened, you know, turning my will over. Like my will is making me miserable. It's making me overweight. I don't feel good. And really um, letting go of the attachment to the food at all. And, you know, now I'm on a clean, structured food plan. I enjoy my healthy meals. I, I look at it as a spiritual practice with my own body and the most sacred partnership I'll have in this lifetime with my own self. And I'm really trying to look at it as a sacred experience in which I'm treating myself really, really well. And it feels amazing to be both physically abstinent and, and mostly mentally and spiritually, although that's a work every day. You know, it's putting the food down and getting it clean is pretty black and white, but the emotions and the, the spiritual practice are work in progress constantly. And uh, I just hope one day and pray one day at a time that I don't have to experience that relapse again and that I can stay in the boat with you guys and um, keep in this recovery because it's a miracle. <laughs> Thanks. I'll pass. Thank you, Heidi L. Kathy Joe P., please go ahead. Good morning. This is Kathy Jopini, a recovered compulsive reader in Minneapolis. And, you know, I'm going to start, even though it doesn't fit in perfectly, but I want to say that when I started my 22-year relapse, intending to behave is the word I'm going to use, not surrender, not um, abstinence, but behave with food so that I could get back to that weight, which was 106 pounds more than I am now. Every single time I went to renew my driver's license, no matter what I weighed 
even if I was down 30 from my last time or up 70 from my last time, I continued to put that number of where I was when I started my relapse. And my last weigh-in, I hit that number. So today, I'm not as dishonest as I was a month ago because I now weigh what it says on my driver's license. <laughs> anyway, just want to say that. And that is talking about what we're talking about today because it's talking about um, getting a hold of, and I'm going to say it again this way, but behaving with food. So here I was at Weight Watchers over and over and over again, and I did go to this one meeting because she was a dino. She was 14 years at Go Weight and behaving. And I kept thinking, when is this behaving going to come to me? I want it to come to me so I can get to go away, but I still want my seven-point ice cream cones. I laughed because the Weight Watcher gave you three points from McDonald's Twist, but I know who to go to that would make me the jumbo size. And I still counted it as three points. Anyway, about a year into this, which I have two years of back-to-back -back abstinence, June 2016, I ran into that leader, and she was fat. So it helped me realize, again, that it's not about losing the weight and behaving for a little bit. And I'm going to – I loved what someone said earlier about the funeral with the food. For me today, I had that funeral with the food, and yes, I have a mini funeral remembering the funeral every day as I surrender my food plan and my food to God. But what I'm continuing to have is a funeral with my ego, because the big book tells us if our ego, that mental obsession, is in the way, we don't have that direct power to God, and we won't be able to do this program. And man, I had a few funerals lately. I'm with Wendy M. But I am celebrating it because I get my God more now. And when I get my God more, I get this program more. So I'm walking with all of you, trudging and grasping, a word that jumped out to me when I was reading this weekend. I am grasping. I'm not sailing. But I'm here with all of you, and I'll pass. Thank you, Kathy Joe P. And Reggie O., please go ahead. Thank you, Kathy. This is Reggie O, recovered in the Los Angeles area. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, as uh, listening to people in reading, the reading this morning, I was remembering back to uh, an experience when I believe I was 30. And I had discovered in my late 20s that I no longer actually had could choose to diet. I wasn't overweight. I was an athlete, you know, and I just did a lot of long-distance running and everything else and managed my weight. I maybe was slightly over my ideal weight, but not overweight. But I couldn't. I realized I could not wake up and choose to go on a diet. And it was pretty amazing because I'd always been able to do that before. And um, so... I I could yet go on diets, but it would be I would wake up inspired, and the you know the diet or change of eating would happen that day. But this particular time, 
my uh, partner had left and was back in Texas visiting family. And the first or second day I had on my own, I remember sitting at the table, the dining room table, and I had this deep desire to sit down, make myself a candlelight dinner. I lit a candle. I made a beautiful meal. I sat. I savored it. I ate the way I enjoy eating, a, you know, more absolutely more enjoy eating abstinently today and it was wonderful and I thought wow this is really great because I assumed that the relationship was my eating problem and I wasn't having to deal with the relationship so I could do this however uh, before my partner returned um, maybe a week or so later the mental twist kicked back in so at the age of 30 I could not diet I really wanted to stop eating compulsively but the mental twist uh, always came back to get me. However, I didn't I didn't enter program or even learn about program until about five years later. I think I was 35. And uh, the the disease, you know, this disease takes. It's amazing the different manifestations that it takes on over time. Um, because uh, there were times I didn't want to stop. You know, uh, later than that, I realized oh, I don't want to stop. I want to have the benefits of stopping, but I don't want to stop. And you know, they continue to grow. I got I very gratefully got recovered once and found my life extraordinary, my relationship with God really wonderful, and I, I let it go. And and during the many years that it took me to get back, the many years that I was in relapse, I would say in and out of relapse, but it was like actually one long relapse when I look at it. Um, uh, I just I lost my train of thought there, but um, I guess you know, what I'm saying now is that I am – so grateful that I truly want to stop, you know, and, and yeah, I used to, like people say, what could I get away with? That turned out to be a part of my disease, you know. Now my, you know, my relationship with God, which was, is really the most important thing, I believe, you know, the spiritual solution that our program is, but I also, as someone else said earlier today, need this community, you know, and uh, I need this community and i you know, a crowd of people that I'm working this with. And so it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful combination of people, community, and, you know, essentially my higher power that, um, and of course the abstinence, which is the first step. So I'll pass with that. Thank you very much, Reggie O. And uh, it is now time to close this meeting. And uh, thank you everyone who is here and who did service. Um, we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164 and then say the serenity prayer together. I'd like to ask Ashley P. to read Our Book is Meant to be Suggestive Only in a Vision for You. Hi, this is Ashley P. recovered in Northern California. Can I be heard? Yes. Great, thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. <clears throat> Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past, give freely of what you find, and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.